0: Uh, but we're going to dive into our brand new series called "Make Room," and this really goes in conjunction with our 21 Days of Prayer. And here's the the premise of the series: that in order for us to see a move of God, we must make room for God. Uh, we have to make room in our life for God. And uh, that's what this series is going to be all about. And today is really an introductory message into this series. But before we dive into it, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Uh, we pray as we open it up today, God, that you would speak to us. We, we posture our hearts and our minds uh, to receive from you today. Uh, we love you. We honor you. It's in the name of Jesus And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Uh, on a side note, I said this in uh, the first service, uh, and I'll say it again uh, if you are maybe newer to church, and uh, you'll hear people say amen uh, while I'm speaking, uh, or, or that's good, or preach on preacher, or holla at your boy, or don't stop. Uh, <laughs> let, let me give you context of why people say that. Maybe some of you might become, I don't know what's your church background. Maybe you think, oh, that's just hype. Um, the word amen literally means the original language is let it be in my life. So when you hear a word you want, you're saying let it be in my life. And let me say this. The amen is not for me. Can I be honest? I'm going to be frank with you. I could preach to a wall. Come on, somebody. Uh, come on. I did 13 months of pandemic where I preached to a camera in an empty room. Come on, somebody. I'll preach to a spider. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't need "amen." Can I say this, though? You need the amen. Because what you're, you know this. Your words have power. You've all been encouraged or discouraged by somebody else's words. The Bible says your word have the power of life and death. So when you say amen, you're saying, let that truth be true in my life. You're reminding the devil of who actually has the authority, and it's King Jesus. And he's given all authority unto you. So I'm encouraging you, listen, don't say amen for me again. I'll preach to that wall all day. Say amen for you. Let me all say this. I encourage you to take notes while, you, while, while the message is going on. Again, here's why. It's not for me. Because the Spirit of God is in the room, and while I am teaching the Word of God, the Spirit of God will speak something to you. And the reason, just let me speak neurochemically. Uh, neurochemically, if you write things down, you remember them. That's why you keep a task list. You don't just like rely on your brain. Come on, somebody. The older I get, the realize I cannot, I cannot rely on my brain. Come on. Uh, but, but you write it down for you what God is speaking to you. So I want to encourage you. When you come to church, now you hear a truth, amen. Let that be true in my life. When you, when you hear a word you want and you're, you, you're saying that God's speaking to you from something I say or something that's in the word, write it down, put it in your phone so you can remember what the Spirit of God is saying to you. Sound good? Yes. Amen. All right. 2 yes. Kings 4, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading there. 2 Kings 4. Uh, we're going to be looking at a moment where Elisha is... is Interacting with a woman who's named in the scripture as a Shunammite woman. We're referencing to where she's from in Shunam. Elisha is a prophet. If you're familiar with scripture, you may know of Elijah. Elijah was his predecessor. Elisha Elijah, uh, was served Elijah. Um, and the Bible says he received a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And he was a prophet from the Lord. And prophets were really critical at this time in history because um, we're New Testament right now. We're kind of post-New Testament Christians. So we have the Holy Spirit. On the inside of us as followers of Jesus. Now back then they did not. So, so they could not hear from God themselves. So they would have a prophet who would give a message on behalf of God. The prophet would also um, oftentimes not only deliver a message from God. He could see the activity of God. So prophets were very critical in this day and age. And oftentimes when you welcomed a prophet, you were welcoming the very presence of God because they carried the presence with them. So Elisha was a prophet. In Second in Kings 4 and 6, um, we see a series of what's called scholars call compassion, compassionate miracles, uh, where, where God really has compassion on people and through Elisha does incredible miracles. Aren't you grateful that we have a compassionate God? Amen. Come on, somebody, just on. Come on, somebody, here we go. When I got the handheld, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going to start preaching. Come on, this is the last service of the day. Let's go. Okay. Sorry I got distracted now. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, 2 Kings 4, that's where we are uh, in the scriptures. Uh, let's look here. Um, we're going to look at 2 Kings 4, chapter verse 8, if you have the scriptures. It says this. That one day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. And she said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put it in a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there wherever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her you have gone all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, she has no son, and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her, and she stood at the doorway. About that time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant the next year, about the same time, and she gave birth to a son just as Elisha had told her. This woman did not tell him that she uh, was desiring a son. In that culture, uh, it was believed if you could not get pregnant, if you were barren, um, that it was judgment from God because of your sin. Now, we know that's a lie from the pit of hell. Can I get an amen? Uh, but she was, was, was embarrassed. She was more than likely ashamed of the fact that she could not uh, have a child. Uh, so what we see in this moment that Elisha comes into her house and God, through Elisha, delivers a miracle in the form of her, her son. I'm going to share with you three applications that we can draw from the text. And we're going to read the second half of the text as well. Here's the first point, if you're taking notes, is that we need to, in order for us to see a move of God and make room for God, we must first diligently seek God diligently seek God so this Elisha comes walking by her house and the scripture says she sees the holy man of God so she saw this this holy man she saw Elisha for who he was again he was carrying the presence of God he had the message of God he was walking in the power and the presence of God Now notice that her husband in this text never once noticed who Elisha actually was. Why? Because she had eyes to see who he truly was. Can I encourage you in a prayer to pray? Is pray, God, give me eyes to see your activity around me. Not not just with natural eyes, but but give me me spiritual eyes. Give me spiritual insight. She could see this is a holy man of God. He is carrying the very presence of God. Do you know, you'll find, the Bible says it this way, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. But have you ever noticed this in your life? Is that whatever you seek in life, you often see more of it in your life? I'll put it this way. When Christine and I were, uh, this was several years back, we were, we were looking for a house. And we, we noticed when we were looking for a house, we would notice all around us these four sale signs of homes. And why? Because we were looking for a house and we were constantly noticing houses and stopping and looking and writing them down. Because whatever you seek, you will see more of. How many of you know it was always there? We were just noticing it. Why? Because we were seeking a house. Can I tell you today, I cannot remember the last time I saw a for sale sign for a house. (laughs) Why? Because I'm no longer seeking a house. Can I tell you, if you want to see more of the activity of God, you want to hear more of the voice of God, is to have a posture where you are seeking God. And then she made some room for him in her house. She had a, come on, a little, little rooftop penthouse suite. Come on, somebody. She put a bed in there, a table, a chair for him to have a space in her house. She made room for him. And here's the reality again, I've said before, I'm going to keep saying it. Probably throughout this whole series. That if we want to see a move of God, we must make room for God. And she made room for God in her house by making room for the prophet in her home. Now we know this, that whatever you want to see more of, you make room for. Think of it this way, when you are, maybe some of you are in this season, if you're, you're dating someone... Come on, you begin to make more room in your life for that relationship, right? Come on, your friends are like, why don't you ever hang out with me on Friday night? Come on. You're like, I'm with my boo on Friday night. Come on, somebody. Right? If you go back to get that doctorate degree or that master's degree, you make room in your schedule for it. Are you following me? You make room in your budget for it. We make room for what we want more of. Can I give you some encouragement? is make some room for God in this season. I was reminded back when Christina and I first got married, when you get married, there's a lot of making room. I was talking to a newly married couple this week, and they were talking about, come on, the, the transition of, of moving in together and, and, and making room for one another. And sometimes, come on, that can create some friction. So I remember back when, we, when, when Christina and I got married and she moved in, and I had to make room uh, in my closet. Come on, somebody. And uh, I won't say who got most of the room in the closet, but her name is Christina. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, there was someone who had, at that time, more room in their closet. And I won't say who it is, but maybe their name was Jeremy. And um, so, so when, we, when we got married... I realized that that if, if I need to make some room in my life, I need to make some room in my closet. Because come on, happy wife, happy life. Come on, somebody, somebody needs to write that down right now. You've been wondering why this thing's so hard. Um, <laughs> so what I had to do, I had to make some room. I had to get rid of some clothes. I had to make some space in my closet for Christina. Can I say this? Sometimes you can look at your life and you can feel like my life is full. And probably most of you in this room right now, you probably say this. I don't have much spare room in my life. But can I help you out? You don't find room, you make room. Because you make room for what's important to you. So what I'm challenging you to do, I want you to lean into this. These 21 days, as we're doing 21 days of prayer, make some room for God in your life. Maybe some of you, this is a brand new concept. Maybe you, you haven't been making room in your everyday life, but, but, but make some room in your life so you can have more of God in your life. Jesus said in Mark 135, it says very early in the morning, while it was still dark, I want to get practical Jesus got up, left his house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That Jesus made room in the morning to meet with the Father. Now listen, I think making room for God starts with making room in your heart. But I think on a practical level, it also means making room in your schedule. And can I tell you, this isn't something like you have to, but I think it's wisdom. I think because the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. Is, is this, is give God the first of your day. Give him the first of your day. Jesus, very early in the morning when he got up, he went alone to be with the Father in prayer. Can I tell you, that's why we're doing 21 days of prayer at 7 a.m. Monday through Friday. Every day, Monday through Friday. Why? Because we're giving God the first of your day. And have a time and place. Here's why I meet with God. This is the time I meet with God. Can I tell you, it will go well for you. I love what Joyce Meyer says. Says spending time with God is the key to our strength and success in all areas of our life. Be sure that you never try to work God into your schedule, but you always work your schedule around Him. My question for you is this, and please hear this: There's no condemnation. Is do you work God into your schedule? I'll come to church when I have a free Sunday. I'll come to church when I don't have a game to watch. Or do you say, no, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God on Sunday morning. When you get up on Monday morning, hey, before I check my email, can I tell you this? More importantly than you responding to that client is you seeking the face of God. More than you satisfying that client is you want the favor of Almighty God on your life. Can I get amen? More than you scrolling social media. More than you, can I tell you, perhaps some of you, you wake up and you struggle with finding peace because the first thing you read is the news. Fill your mind with the truth of the word of God. Can I get an amen? So that you can, you can see first. I'm going to give God the first of my day. And then what happens next is Elisha... He has Gehazi go to the woman. says, what, what, what can we do for you? And she says, I live among my own people. Here she says, she said, I'm good. I don't need anything. You know what this tells us? She made room for God not because she needed something from God. She made room for God solely because of who God is. Can I tell you this? If the only time you seek God is because you need something from God, you miss the point. That actually the true value and beauty of a relationship with God is when you seek God solely because of who he is. And can I humbly encourage you this morning? A healthy posture for you to have spiritually is to have the posture that God, you owe me nothing. God, there's nothing else you have to do for me. Can I submit this to you? Perhaps some of you struggle with contentment because if you are honest with yourself, you are still living with this belief that there's something in this life that God owes you. And can I tell you something? God in heaven owes you nothing. And you know, one of the antidotes to help you with that is you to remember what God's already given to you. That you say, God, you've already saved my soul. God, you've forgiven me of all sin, past, present, future. God, your mercy's new every morning. God, your grace is sufficient. God, you put breath in my lungs. You know, the antidote to discontentment is to praise God for who He is and what He's already done for you. Two people are okay with that. Can I tell you, He is worthy of our praise. There's a moment that, that, that David, can I tell you this too? There's a moment where David, he, he's, he's so overwhelmed with the goodness of God. He begins to dance in the street. And he dances, he praises so hard his clothes fall off. He's naked. Don't dance that hard at Catalyst Church, okay? Come in with well-fit clothing. Keep the pants on. You can do that at your house. Not in God's house, okay? His wife gets embarrassed. And he says, I'm going to act more undignified than this. Can I tell you? Some of you need to lose your dignity for the one who saved your soul. You are more concerned with your dignity than you are with praising the one who saved you. Please don't hear I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this to encourage your spirit, church. That he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of all honor. He's saying, to say, God, if you never do anything else for me, I'm still going to praise you. If you don't answer one more prayer I pray, I'm still going to praise you. If my life completely goes south, I'm still going to praise you. If you never bless me one more time, I am still going to praise you because my eternity is secure because of what you already done for me. He's worthy of our praise, church. And she says, you don't owe me anything. There's nothing you have to do for me. It reminded me of what God told Abram in Genesis 15. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. You know, I'll be 40 this year. And the older I get, I don't know if anybody can relate to this. When I was in my 20s, I needed when I go on vacation, like I needed to know what I was gonna do. I needed this like big like plan and very busy. Now in my current state, maybe it's just me, but I've learned the actual value of vacation is not in what I will do when I get on vacation, it's in the vacating. Can anyone relate? (laughs) Like the peace is in the vacating. It's not I don't even need a plan. Like I, I, I just, I'm vacating. Can I tell you this? As you walk with God, the more you walk with God, what you will find is that joy, true joy, will not be found in you getting that promotion. It's found in His presence. True peace, it's not found in, in a prayer getting answered, it's in His presence. The Bible says that in his presence there's the fullness of joy. There's pleasures at his right hand. You know, we just sung that song, that I still have joy in chaos. Do you want to know how you can have joy in chaos in his presence? Do you know you, have, you, can have, you can have peace and tension in his presence? And can I tell you there is no better testimony of who Jesus Christ is when you are somebody walking through chaos yet experiencing peace. Can I tell you what our world wants more than ever before? Is, uh, is unconditional peace. Do you know who has full access to that? We do. Because we have full access to the presence of God. But then I, I love God because in this moment, Elisha says to Gehazi, "Well, what can we do for her? That's what she's like. Well, her husband's old. Come on, you know you're old when the eternal scripture says you're old. Come on, somebody. You get to heaven, you meet, you meet the Shunammite woman's husband. Be like, God really said you were old in that scripture. <laughs> he probably still old. Um, but he says, he says that she's old and she's, she's, she's barren. She can't have a child. So Elisha, listen, prophesies to her and God gives her a baby. I want you to see this. God blesses her even though she didn't ask for it. It reminds me of Hebrews eleven six, which says this, that God rewarder, he is a rewarder. I want you to catch this, church. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Have you ever experienced this? Just in your pursuit of God, God just blesses you? God, God just, I thought some of this week he was saying, I, I just keep being blessed in my workplace. He's not asking for it. But can I tell you what's happening? He's seeking first the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, all the other things you want in life will be added unto you. Hebrews 11.6 says, he is a rewarder for those who seek him diligently. I was reminded back when I came back to Christ in my mid-20s. And I was, uh, I, I went, it was a radical conversion. I just went hard after God. And one of the areas God dealt with me was I was busy with my life pursuing a relationship with women. And he was saying, I want you to stop pursuing a relationship completely. And I want you to completely pursue me. Now, I had a hard time at first, I'll be honest. But I trusted him, and I just pursued him wholeheartedly. I mean, it was just like me and Jesus, (laughs) And it was during that season, I was working out of the gym. Some of you may know the story. I was on the elliptical, and this beautiful, stunning redhead comes right next to me. I said, The Lord God has provided water to a parched man. Let's go. So I did as any sensible man would, I, I struck up a conversation. And long story short, uh, you know, fast-forwarding a lot. She is now my wife. You just saw her up here a moment ago. But can I tell you, when God, I'm not saying this is the word for you. Maybe it is. Maybe for you it is a relationship. You've been so hung up on getting married. That's where I was. I wanted to be married. I wanted to have. And, and, and when I stopped pursuing that and I solely pursued him, He gave me what my heart desired. Can I tell you he did the same to the Shunammite woman? You know why I believe that? Because he finally saw, because I have your heart, I know that won't grab your heart. Because I have your heart, I know that which I want to bless you with will not take the throne of your heart. The Bible says he wants to give you the desires of your heart. He just wants to make sure he has... The throne of your heart. You have to diligently seek him, church. Then secondly, and this is going to be more for those who you've been walking with God. Maybe a few months, maybe a few years, maybe a few decades. Here's point number two. Is that you have to do what you did before. You have to do the things you once did. I want you to watch. This is verse 20. To give context, her son is now grown. He's out in the field working, and he passes out, and the scripture says he dies. So the, so the son who God delivered to her dies. Many say it was a heat stroke because of the, the, how quickly he died. And the Bible says this, when he was brought to his mother, verse 20, he sat on her knees until noon, then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. She shut the door behind him and went out. What did she do? She went back into the room that hosted the very presence of God. She went back to the room that held the prophet who prophesied and God delivered her the son. What did she do? I'm going to go back with where I experienced the miracle before. I'm going to go back from where to where I heard God before. I'm going to go back to where I experienced the presence of God before. And for some of you in this room, you've been walking with God for, again, months, years, decades. And maybe if you'd be honest with yourself, your relationship with God does not have the same degree of passion it once did. Can I encourage you today? Do the things you once did before. To the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, Jesus begins commending the church at Ephesus. He says, you're very holy. You you know your doctrine. I commend you. But he says this, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. He says, you have some great things, but you've lost your first love, which is me. You've lost the passion you once had for me. And maybe some of you in this room, there, there, was a, there was years ago, maybe months ago, and you, you were passionate for God. You remember moments of worshiping God in private when no one else was around, but you still gave him praise. You, you remember moments where, where, where you couldn't wait to spend time with God and pray. There, there were times where every time the church doors were open, you were there. You, you remember when you had to pull yourself away from the Scriptures because you were hearing the voice of God, and it was It was incredible. And maybe you find yourself in a season where you have a hard time staying in the Word. You have a hard time even worshiping in a corporate setting. Maybe you have a hard time even getting to church. Please hear this: there's no condemnation for it all. But can can I encourage you today? Is do the things you once did before? When we were on vacation, Christina and I back in June, it was a true vacation. Come on, parents, you know this. It was a vacation without children. And all of the parents said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> to clarify, if you need a catalyst, when you vacation with children, it's called a trip. It's a work trip, right? Come on. Anybody else, your kids get up earlier on vacation. You're like, in the name of Jesus, go back to sleep. <laughs> you need a vacation from the vacation. Pray for us. Um, well, we were on a real vacation. So one of the things we do on our vacation together we're, is we, we do the things we did when we first were dating. Like, we, we do. That's just what we fall back into that. It's amazing. We have a long devotional time together, and we just have deep conversation. And Then we, here's, the, here's one of the big things. We work out together. We met in the gym. So we used to lift weights together. We used to, like, now with, like, three kids at home, like, we, we kind of take turns. Like, it's hard to to do that so we work out together and we go to the gym together and we work out together I like crush on her hard in the gym like unashamedly I'm like hey girl like across the gym like awkwardly I'm like you need a spot she's like no I'm okay I think you need a spot people like staring at me I'm like it's my wife okay you know Just let us have her. We don't have children right now, people. I mean, I crush hard on her. Come on, I still got game. Come on, somebody. You got to, listen, married, man, you got to keep flexing that game like you did when you were dating. Come on, that's for somebody. You lost your game. And if you don't know what game is, just talk to me after service, okay? You need game. Sanctified game. But game, okay? Okay? The practical is spiritual people, okay? You can pray all you want, but you also need game. Game in Jesus, okay? I still got it. And after the gym, we are like sweet on each other. We, we, it's incredible. What do we do? We go back and do the things we did when we first fell for each other. Some of you need to go back and do the things you first did. You can remember those nights where you were worshiping God and no one else was around. You were in the house of God every Sunday. You couldn't wait. You need to go back and do the things you once did before. Come back to your first love. And then I want you to watch this. Because she's going back now to Elisha. The scripture says in verse 22, she called her husband. She said, send me one of my servants, one of my donkeys, that I may return to the man of God and and return. Run to the man of God and return. Her husband says, why will you go to him today? It's not the time of the new moon or day of rest. She said, it will be all right. Here's what he's saying. The day of rest was a Sabbath. He's saying, it's not the day of worship. Like, Why are you seeking God? It's not Sunday. He didn't understand it. Can I say this to you? There are some people in your life even those you love, and they will not understand the passion you have for God. They will not understand you, they'd be like, You're telling me you go to church and then you serve in the kids' ministry every Sunday. You're telling me you read your Bible on your own. There are some people that will not understand your passion. And can I encourage you, if that's you in this room, is do not allow someone else's religion to impede your relationship with God. Because in their mind, God is boxed in. Well, you only see God in church, and you only go to church certain times. you're like, no, I see God with my whole being. I see God with every moment. Uh, Not saying... You have things to do, but but my posture is always directed to him. My life is an act of worship. And I want to encourage you in John 2, 17, as it says, that zeal, another word for this is passion, for your house will consume me. Can I speak to those I'm speaking to right now? This resonates. Be unashamed about your passion. Be unashamedly passionate for God. The Bible says the God of this age or the devil blinds the mind of unbelievers. It means this there are some people they will not understand. I remember back when I first came to Christ, and I was like many of you on our dream team. I I would spend on Sundays about seven hours in church between. I'd serve several services. We had three services, 1.5 services. I served, and, and I was, I worshiped. So I would go to work the next morning. I worked as a psychologist, and he'd be like, "Oh, what did you do this weekend?" I was in church. They're like, "Oh yeah, but what else?" I was in church. <laughs> They're like, "You did what? Like, you serve at your church?" I'm like, "What did you do?" I watched football. The one o'clock game, the four o'clock game, and Sunday night football. In our Western culture, we don't say, you did what? Come on. I used to be, before Christ, I would waste my entire Sunday on football and play fantasy football. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to play fantasy football, but I would watch hours of football. But our culture won't understand if you're saying, I want to spend hours in the house of God. They'll be like, "What? you go to a community group on Friday night? Isn't church for Sunday? But yet they go to the bar on Friday night you tithe and give to your church, but they blow money at that same bar on Friday night on bottle service. People won't understand your passion. And can I tell you, that's okay. Can I tell you, be passionate anyway. Zeal for your house consumes me, God. Zeal for your presence consumes me, God. Be unashamedly passionate for God. They may not understand, they may be bothered by it. In fact, even when we planted Catalyst Church, come on, what's the famous question you get in the DC area? Before they even ask, What's your name or who you are? they ask you, Well, what do you do? Come on, you wanna see somebody react really strangely to that question? Tell them you're starting a church. <laughs> They're like, You're doing what? Like, get a real job. <laughs> Can I tell you, this church was started out of my love for God. I'm not saying that's the word for you, but like, what I'm saying is be passionate for God. And regardless of what other people may say about it, may, may look at you a certain way, may, may judge you, may, may be bothered by you, but be passionate anyway. Do what you did at first. Come back to your first love. Here's the last point. So she diligently sought him. She did what she did before, and then lastly, we have to sometimes have to make a sacrifice for God. Verse thirty-one: Give context. The boy is dead, and Elisha tells Gehazi his servant, "Go take my staff and lay my staff, my stick, on the boy's face." You can read that and be like, "Oh, Elijah didn't want to be bothered." Come on, somebody. Just take my stick. <laughs> You'll be fine. Well, let me give context. It was believed then, and it was, that the stick of a prophet, the staff of a prophet, was a carried his authority. It carried the very presence of God. So Elisha wasn't saying, I don't want to come. Why don't you watch this? He was saying, you don't need me to come. That my very presence goes with this staff and it's not me, it's the presence of God that can raise the dead. So Gehazi now goes, lays the stick on the boy's face, but there was no sound or anything to show the boy was alive. So Gehazi's like, huh, he's not awake. So he goes back to Elisha. Now in my study for this, they, they kind of the conclusion is this, that either Gehazi and or the Shunammite woman lacked faith that the stick could actually raise the boy to life. So the problem was not in the staff. The problem was in their lack of faith. They did what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.5. He warns young Timothy. He says about people who are religious. He says they will act religious, but they reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that, he says. Another translation says they have a form of godliness, but they lack the power thereof. They're the people who go through the motions, but they don't actually believe the motions are taking will make a difference. They, they read the Bible, but they don't believe the Bible. They come to church, but they don't come to worship. Paul says, stay away from people like that. In other words, can I just can I lovingly encourage all of us? Is guard your heart from becoming like that. You can come to church and hear a message, but not have faith for it. You 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 can you can you can pray things. Can I be honest? I've been there before. I prayed in years past. I prayed something that, if I was honest, I didn't actually have faith for in that moment. This is not con- to condemn. This is a I'm encouraging you, like, to believe God. And then what's intriguing is Gehazi gives up pretty quickly. He puts the staff on his face and is like, oh, no movement. He gave up. I'm reminded of Galatians 6 where Paul says this in verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I had a pastor in my life tell me a year ago. He sat down with me. He said, Jeremy, this scripture says that God's responsibility is the outcome. Your responsibility is not to give up. This is a word for somebody. You have been overly consumed with the outcome, but that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is not give up. Let me give you more scripture. Daniel 10. This is where we get 21 days of prayer from, by the way, is Daniel 10. Verse 12, an angel comes to Daniel. He says, do not be afraid. Since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. Watch this though. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. He says, I heard you on day one, but I was resisted for 21 days. Can I tell you, somebody in this room, maybe you've been praying. Maybe, maybe days, maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe years. And my encouragement to you is do not give up. Why is it some prayers aren't answered immediately? I don't know. And I'm not going to tell you what I don't know. But I do know this biblically. We are instructed to not give up. Your, your job is to be faithful to God. His responsibility is the blessing. Your responsibility is to believe for healing. His responsibility is to actually heal. Your responsibility is to pray and believe. His responsibility is the miracle. Are you hearing me, church? Yeah, I was reminded it's football season, so I'm gonna forewarn you. You're gonna get a lot of football references, okay? Um it's my it's like it's like Jesus, Christina, my family. Football. No, I'm no, but but I do love football. But a year ago, I watched um, a Buffalo Bills uh, documentary, and part of the documentary talked about if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, I pray for you because a lot of close calls. But in 1992, um, the Buffalo Bills were in the playoffs wild card game. They were down 35-3 to in the third quarter. If you're unfamiliar with football, that's really bad, and there's a high likelihood you won't come back. And not only that, they had their star quarterback, Jim Kelly, was injured. So they had a backup, Frank Reich. He's actually a University of Maryland alumni. Come on, somebody, go Terps. And so literally at the third quarter, Frank Reich threw an interception. Thousands of fans leave the stadium. And the next possession, Frank Reich throws a 50-yard touchdown pass. They come back and tie it 38-38. They go into overtime. The Bills kick the game-winning field goal and win 41-38. It is known as the game that thousands of Buffalo natives missed the Bills' greatest comeback in their history. Why? They gave up. Can I encourage you? Don't give up. I know some of you have been believing God for maybe your marriage to be restored. Maybe you believe in God to be married, to have a child. You've been believing God for that business to to take off. You've been believing God for a healing for your mother to not give up. And then at the end of chapter 4, Elisha finally comes in verse 32. So he comes into the house because Gehazi... Put the stick. Didn't work. Elisha comes. He went in and shut the door behind the two of them, he and the boy, prayed to the Lord. He went up and lay on the child. He put his mouth on his mouth, eyes on his eyes, hands on his hands, spread himself out on him, and the child's flesh became warm. Elijah got up again, walked from one end of the house to the other. He went up and spread himself on the child again. Don't give up. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Now, let me give why this scripture is so important. Some of you are like, that just sounds disgusting. (laughs) It is a little strange upon first reading. And the boy sneezed seven times in his face. But here's why this is important. Number one, his predecessor, Elijah, in 1 1 Kings 17, did the exact same thing. Can I encourage you sometimes when you don't know what to do, do what the people before you have done? That's why it's so important to be in community around people of faith who are further along than you because sometimes you don't know what to do. And you can ask someone who they've, they've been through something and they can counsel you. So he did what Elijah did. Here's what's also important so Elisha was a prophet. And as a prophet, he could not touch a dead person. Or he would become what's known as ceremonially unclean. Here's what that meant. If you touched a dead person, if you were a prophet, um, there were certain things that would make you unclean. And there were certain amounts of days you could not go into the temple after you did such act because you were unclean. You were not, you were deemed unworthy to come into the presence of God, into the temple of God if you were if you were unclean. Again, that was if that was for them. So he risked becoming unclean. He risked not being able to go to the temple for seven days in order to see this boy come to life. He sacrificed. It reminds you of what David said in 2 Samuel twenty four twenty four. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Now we don't sacrifice for God. Out of religious duty. Our sacrifice is out of our love for him. Love will make you do some crazy things sometimes. It reminded me back when we had our, our daughter Hannah. Before we had her, first parents, have you've experienced this, this fear. Um, I, I like my sleep. Uh, I need about seven to eight hours or I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm like a mutant if I get less. Uh. So I was a little nervous. I was like, man, we're gonna have a baby and I'm gonna not get sleep. I'm I'm gonna be way off. And the first night she was in our house, she was up every hour on the hour. I was like, dear Lord, help me, Jesus. (laughs) But can I tell you what I learned in those first three months where I slept very little? I could actually get by with a whole lot less sleep. Do you wanna know why? because I love that beautiful little girl that God brought in my life. Love will make you do some things you thought you'd never do. And can I tell you, sometimes your love for God, your obedience to his word will cause you to make a sacrifice. And I want to encourage you the posture of David. I will not give God anything that costs me nothing. So I challenge you these 21 days that we're, we're coming into. It's to make some room for God in your life. Maybe some of you, you've never taken a step to make room for God. You, you've never said, I'm going I'm to read the Bible and pray in the mornings. Man, join us for our 21 days of prayer. Maybe others of you, you've been walking with God for a while. You need to do the things you once did before. Go back and cultivate that heart of worship. Go back and cultivate a love for the scriptures. But I want to encourage you these 21 days. I am believing in faith for you to see a move of God but you have to make room for God.